Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Before we speak, so we're going to read a few verses from the David and Goliath story in 1 Samuel 17. It's a bit long, but it's going to be some of the best lines from the story, so um, bear with me. So, um, verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will be your subjects. But if I overcome, if I overcome him and kill him, you will be, become our subjects and serve us. Verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight, fight him. Then he took off his, his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down into the ground. I'm going to hand over to Lars. Thank you very much, Cole. And uh, it's so good to see you all this morning. I have been looking forward to uh, be with you and been looking forward to share this particular talk with you today. It is an amazing story, isn't it? The story of David and Goliath. It's one of those stories that we would call a meta story, which means it's a story of stories. You can use it to interpret all kinds of stories, and you can actually use it to mirror your own life narrative. There will always be something that will kind of speak into our lives when we look at a story like this. And I have particularly chosen to focus on the theme of fear, and given uh, this headline to the talk, No More Fear. It seems that fear is a big thing, a big theme in this story, and the headline actually comes from a personal experience of mine. So I found myself in a bus in the middle of the night, driving the hills of Israel in a minivan with a chauffeur driving really wild. And that was an experience of what you might call the sum of all fears tumbling down on me. I was there because my son had decided to go for a trip all by himself to countries like Lebanon, Syria, Iran, and 
nations like that. And we were, of course, quite worried uh, as parents. So he had promised us to contact us and let us know that he was still alive whenever he crossed the border. And of course, he forgot about that. And uh, I had decided that I would meet up with him in Jerusalem. So I was there on the bus, not knowing whether my son was alive or not. And this was obviously some high security situation going on in the nation. So we were stopped all the time by heavily armed guards who searched the bus. And this didn't really help my anxiety. And on top of that, the chauffeur, after I entered the bus and told him what hotel to go to, he told me, fine, I will get you there. But as we took off from the airport, he said, oh, by the way, I'm not going there anyways. So I'll just put you off somewhere in Jerusalem in the middle of the night, and you have to find your own way in the middle of a high security situation. So, you know, and he, obviously he didn't know me because if he had known me, he would know that this would be the kind of thing that could create a severe anxiety attack in my life because I can't find my way. I get lost all the time. Uh, I have run a marathon once, but it was actually, I was just out for a three miles run and it, you know, <laughs> I simply just get lost. Uh, so, so I was, and, and then at the same time, this chauffeur, he decided that he wanted to count uh, the coins that he had received from the fares while he was driving the, the bus on these curvy hill roads at a high speed. And of course, he dropped some of the coins on the floor. So he decided to look for the coins while he held the hand on the wheel. And in that moment, something happened inside of me. That was like all the fears came down on me. And something from the deep inside of me actually grew into this sentence. And I can't even really explain what happened, but suddenly I just decided, no more fear. I will not let fear control me no more. This is the end. And actually, in that moment, all fear left me. And instead of dreading for my life, I started to burst out in laughter in this bus, in this minivan. So, uh, and then, obviously, uh, he picked up a blonde, beautiful girl on this road, and this girl, uh, incidentally, was to, be, to get to the place where my hotel was. And suddenly, the driver was more than capable of driving to that place, uh, after, of course, telling her that she didn't have to pay the fare. And, uh, and when I came to that place, I found the hotel, and I found my son sound asleep in the hotel room. Everything was all right. In my life story, there's been a lot of fear going on. And I've been journeying with a lot of people who have felt fear as a strong enemy in their lives. So I've seen the power of fear. I've felt the power of fear. But I've also seen that fear can be overcome. There's something stronger than the fear that sometimes attacks us in this life. And this is something of what we see in this story. Notice this strange fact in the story that on the one hand, there's an incredibly massive presence of fear going on here in the life of Saul and in the life of the Israelite soldiers. And at the same time, it's a story of an incredibly remarkable lack of fear in David's life. So somehow it seems as there's really no middle ground in this story, which in itself may point us to a potential claim that in different areas of our lives, we will have either or. Or perhaps in different areas of our lives, we will have a positive reaction to fear, and in other areas, we won't. 
essentially, when we talk about fear, we talk about two major kinds of fear. There is the positive one and there is the negative one. The positive one is the one that actually helps us survive in this world. This would be the kind of fear that makes you respect the strong currents when you're out swimming in the ocean or respect the heavy, intense traffic if you're cycling London. Or if you, hypothetically speaking, of course, are moving to a new home and your spouse takes you to the bathroom and she shows you this closet with five shelves and she says to you, those four shelves are mine and that one is yours. Now, positive fear would have you say, of course, dear, that's very generous of you. <laughs> Which, obviously, I didn't. And really regretted that I didn't. Because it took a while to hear the long talk about how fortunate men, want, men was only to need one shelf. And how hard it was for women actually to need four shelves. So I get that now. So, <laughs> yeah. So positive fear is actually a good thing. It helps us survive in this world. But then, of course, there's a negative one, um, which is the kind of fear that paralyzes us emotionally, socially, and sometimes even physically. And this kind of fear either par par paralyzes us or it leads us to unhelpful reactions in our lives. And that kind of fear is a very normal thing for us to have to conquer in this life. A survey conducted years ago claimed that we spend 80% of our emotional resources worrying about things of which much less than 10% would be likely to happen. The French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre put it like this, everybody is afraid. He who isn't afraid is normal. Nelson Mandela, he said essentially the same thing, but in a different way and with an extra layer to it. He said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Now, if we look into the uh, psychological and therapeutical research, of course, there's a, a massive material on this subject. And there are a few things that they agree on. Firstly, that this is a major challenge for us human beings. And a surprisingly high number of people would actually experience a level of fear so high during their lifetime that it would actually be uh, able to claim a psychiatric diagnosis. It's between 10, 10 and 30% the research would have it. So it's a big thing going on for us human beings. And then there are also a general agreement that basically the sources of fear would be either the fear of death or the fear of life which leaves us in a real difficult situation, doesn't it? Either the source seems to be fear of death or fear of life, and in most cases, of both, actually. So the fear of death, of course, is a given, but what's the fear of life about? And they would say it's about the fear of repetitions. The fear that hurtful things that happen to me or the people close to me, the people significant in my life, the things that happen to them or to myself, that they would repeat themselves in my life. That is a massive source of fear going on in us human beings. Which is the kind of fear that we find in the run-up to this story. And Liam was touching on it last Sunday when he gave his brilliant talk about the whole background for the David story that we are in right now. That it started with this prophet Samuel who was the last in a long 400-year line of judges who was ruling Israel. 
And the people uh, wanting a new one to rule them, they wanted a king. And for Samuel, this was actually a loss of a dream, no doubt. Because he would have thought that his sons would be the ones to take over after him. But his sons conducted themselves in a way that made the Israelites distrust them. So they wanted something else. So that must have been a huge blow for Samuel. And then in the second round, he was asked by God to anoint Saul and to mentor Saul, the first king of Israel. And as we heard last Sunday, that didn't go well either. So that was a second dream come tumbling down for Samuel. So when God finds Samuel, he seems quite paralyzed by this whole situation, the heavy losses of his life. And God intervenes by asking him a crucial question. He says, Samuel, how long will you mourn Saul? How long will you stay in that state where you are now? Now, we need to notice that God doesn't dispute the reasons for Saul, Samuel's mourning. He doesn't reproach him for going through the mourning either. Mourning is a natural, healthy, healing, God-given capacity to process hurtful things in our lives. And there is definitely a time to mourn. But there is also a time to stop mourning. And when mourning has turned into fear of repetitions, when it starts to paralyze us or leads us into unhealthy reactions, then it's definitely time to stop mourning. As I was preparing for the talk today, this seemed to be one of the very crucial point, points of the talk. And I do believe it's because there is a maybe specific message for some of us today, where it's like God almost points to us and ask us the very same question. How long will you stay in the morning of the lost dreams, of the things that didn't work out as you were hoping to? How long will you mourn? It's time to move on. Now, when we come into the story, there is definitely a paralysis going on. We have the two armies facing one another, and none of them felt confident in attacking the other one. Truth is that probably Israel was the strongest of the two. At least we know that they ended up winning a victory by large margins. But at this point, they were paralyzed. And for sure, Goliath was fearsome. There's no way around that. He was really high. He was really strong. He was well-trained and heavily armored. And he was a champion, which meant that he was the appointed representative of the full Philistine army and his win would be their win, his loss would be their loss. Hence the challenge. And when we read the reaction of Saul and the Israelite soldiers, it goes like this. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Just imagine that. One man... An army of thousands of strong men. He does nothing but yell at them. But that's enough for them to flee, to run away in great fear. That's an odd situation, isn't it? So what was happening? Well, what happened is that they didn't see the army that they actually could beat. 
They didn't see their own strength. They didn't see the strength of God who was with them. All they saw was this guy that they seemingly wouldn't have a chance to take down. What happened was that their vision got blurred. They saw themselves in a wrong way. They saw God in a wrong way. And they actually read the whole situation in a wrong way. Fear does that to us. It blurs our vision. It makes us think the wrong way about ourselves, God, and life in general. Goliath managed to get them to think individually and losing sight of their corporate strength. It became me against him instead of us and God against him and them. And some of this is probably going on to some degree in some area of the lives of most of us. So the important question for us today asking this text is how do we overcome fear? And I have three points I want to share with you from the text concerning that question. And the first point was actually a surprise to myself, to be honest. Uh, I've been reading this text for, for years. Um, and there's been one point in the text that's always been annoying to me. And that is David repeating the same question over and over again. He gets this exact same answer, and yet he keeps asking the same question. And I, I've just been annoyed. Waste of space, waste of time. Why does he do that? At one point, I even thought, is he a bit stupid? Why does he keep asking that question? What does he ask? He asks, what happens to the guy that takes this man down? That's basically his question. And number two, what are the odds for the person who fights with God on his side? Those were the two questions he was asking. So I, was started, I started to wonder, so what were the other questions going on in this camp? What did the other soldiers ask themselves? Well, we don't know, but we could have a qualified guess. My guess would be that they were asking themselves, so if I go down there and take up the fight with Goliath, how painful is that going to be? If I go down there and take up the fight, how many times is that man going to kill me? It would be questions like that. And those were the questions that actually paralyzed them. David is asking some very different questions. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because the questions we ask direct our focus. And our focus decides our perspective. The questions we ask decide our focus. And our focus Decide our perspective. That's simply how life works. So an important question for me, for us today, may be, what kind of questions am I asking? Is it, how bad could this go? Or is it, how well could this go? What kind of questions are we really asking ourselves in diff the different challenges we are facing in this life? So that's the first one, asking the right, right questions. Number two, by knowing what's our part of the deal, what's our part of the struggle, the combat, and what belongs to God. Now, David was really aware of this, and he said it. This is not really my battle. This is God's battle. And yet he knew he had a part to play in it. So he used what he had, his limited 
abilities, the experience he possessed, and he took the five stones and the sling and ran towards Goliath and put what he had into action. And that was enough for God to use him to win a great victory. Now, what does that tell us? Number one, if we take the full narrative of the Bible, it's very clear that we are never called or asked to do, to do more than exactly that. On the other hand, however, we are always called to do exactly that, to do our bit, to put into action what we have in this life. And it's actually in this dynamic, knowing which part belongs to God and what part belongs to me, it's in this dynamic that we as human beings in this challenging world, in this complicated life, this is where we find serenity. This tension is described very beautiful, at least I think so, in a prayer which is called the serenity prayer. I've been praying this prayer for 12 years now, and I still find a lot of help in it. And it goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? Well, two of you thought so. <laughs> this is actually the prayer which is more or less the essence of what we go through when we do the steps courses in this church. And some of you would know that I'm quite involved in those courses. It's actually to find the help of God, find the help of ourselves and other people to find that balance. What belongs to God? And what do I need to take care of in this life? Now, in the course that we just finished a month ago, we had quite a few people working especially on this area, the area of fear, who felt conquered by fear in many areas of their lives. And when asked, so what, how did you benefit from the course? One of them put it like this. She said, the main change that I've experienced is learning to trust God. I realized all of my fear, whether that was fear of being hurt or fear of abandonment, was rooted in a distrust in God and believing he wasn't enough. Since doing the course, when I now experience fear, I find myself taking a moment to step back and assess the situation and work out whether it's a situation that warrants my fear or if God is big enough to handle it for me. And so far, so far, I've always concluded the latter. That's how it ends. We need to know what part of the battle belongs to us and what part of the battle we need to give over to God and trust him to fight it for us. And then number three, we need to learn to acknowledge the presence of God. Now, this seems to be David's big secret. It's evident in this story that he was carried by this strong conviction, conviction that God is here, and God is with us, and God is with me. And from David's Psalms, we know that this was a very conscious thing going on in his life, he constantly reminded himself of these two facts. God is here and God is with me. In one of the Psalms, Psalm 27, he puts it like this. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Those are strong sentences, aren't they? And I don't know about you, 
but to me, they speak quite clearly. I see what's going on in David's life. It's like something is approaching me in the distant, something that may threaten me, something that may be of danger to me, but God, I still trust you. But then it comes closer, and it becomes a beseeching thing going on in his life. But he says still, God, I will trust you. And then it actually becomes an attack on his life. But he still says, God, I trust you. Well, I don't know about you, but to me, the first one, I find quite okay. When I see the things approaching that may be a threat to me or my family or the things that I'm involved in, it's okay to say, God, I trust you. You will deal with this. But it becomes a bit harder for me when it comes closer to me, when I feel like I'm surrounded by this. It's besieging me. Sometimes I have a temptation then to interpret the situation like this. Well, maybe God isn't with me. Maybe God isn't here at all. And then if it's things that actually end up attacking me, that temptation becomes even stronger. And some of you, I think, would identify with that. There's a great inspiration from this story. David actually reacted the opposite way. The stronger the threat became, the more he actually leaned on the commitment to God and the presence of God and the trust in God. Now, David, of course, is a, a role model of the one who should come after him, Jesus Christ, who is described as the son of David. And the principles we see in David's life is, comes to kind of the full picture when we see the life of Jesus Christ. And also when we see the reason why he came to this earth and how he dealt with fear and what he did for us in terms of dealing with fear. In Hebrews, it's described like this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear. What does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus is the enemy of fear in our lives. And he's a powerful enemy. But he's on our side. He didn't destine us to be controlled by fear, or tyrannized by fear. He destined us to be free. That was how he created us. That is what, is, what he wants for our life. Now the question today for me and for us, I guess, is what would be the Goliath? Of our lives. And for some of us, this is a very specific thing. For some of us, this would be the fear of rejection, the fear of sickness, the fear of failure. For some of us, it would simply be the fear of fear because we know how much it controls us. For some of us, it would be the fear of the future. There's so many things around us that can cause specific fears in our lives. For other of us, this is less specific. Some of us are so worn by existential battles going on on the inside. And the fear is more about that we would have more of those. And it paralyzes us and leaves us in a mode of survival rather than living. No matter what kind of fear is attacking us in this very moment, the question is not, what is the size of Goliath? That is not the big question. That is not what is determining the outcome of the battle. The big question is, who is with me? That is the important question. 
Who is with me? Now, can I have the band come up? Um, as a child, I had a terrifying experience. I was six years old, and we moved into a new neighborhood, and there was a boy five or six years my senior on that street who decided that he wanted to bully me. So he actually, he was giving me threats. He said, Lars, when I get hold of you, I will take you down. It's going to be painful, stuff like that. I, I believed every word he said. He was really a Goliath in my life. And one time, uh, he saw me on the street, and he start, started to run towards me, and I knew, now it's over. So I turned around, and I ran for my life, and in the last minute, I, I managed to get into our own house. And when I came to our, into our own house, there was a handyman working in there. And he was one of those, you know, really big, muscular guys. To me, he was just huge. And when he saw me, he said, so Lars, what's going on? And I told him about my misery and uh, this Goliath of I on the street. And then he said, Lars, come on with me. And then he took me by the hand, and then he went with me to the street. And suddenly... My situation was completely changed. Before, when I was on that street, I was looking for my enemy and I was fearing that he would turn up all the time. Now, I wanted him to turn up. <laughs> and I imagined how this friend of mine would find many ways of torturing this <laughs> enemy of mine. I mean, I was only six years old. I probably still would today anyways. <laughs> Fortunate for the other guy, we didn't meet him. So, uh, but it just learned me something, that story. It taught me something very significant. It's not the size of my enemy that is deciding the outcome of the battles of mine. It's the size of the one standing next to me, holding my hand. That is what decides the battles that we are in. Now, we need to remind ourselves of this. Remind ourselves of the presence of God in our lives. And this isn't a therapeutic exercise intended to numb us from the realities of a tough life. Rather, it's reminding us of some strong realities. The reality of the promises that God has given to us. And let me just give you three of those before we close in prayer. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In Matthew 28, surely I'm with you always to the very end of age. In John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me, that also you may be where I am. We have solid promises of the presence of God, the unconditional love of God. We have solid promises that He is with us, and we stand on those promises. Would you stand and pray with me? Could we just close our eyes for a minute? And of course, we come from very different places in life. We have dif different situations of life and we also have different experiences of God and faith in God. And some of us may be just on the beginning of our faith journey or we may just be exploring what all of this is about. It doesn't really matter where we come from today. If God is who he says he is, he's strong enough 
to encounter any of us who desire to have an encounter with him today. If God is who he says he is, he's, he's capable of showing his presence to any of us who reach out for him today. If God is who he says he is, he's more than capable of freeing us from all the fears and anxieties that attack us. And this moment is an important moment. It's a crucial moment. And I believe that there will be some of us experiencing the start of a journey towards freedom in this very moment. Something will change on the deep of our hearts in this very moment. And for some of us, it will even be a miracle of freedom that there will be an immediate release of the fear that has been tormenting us for too long. So God, I thank you for your presence in this room right now. God, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, thank you that you are here. Holy Spirit, the Spirit of freedom, thank you that you are here in this room, in this very moment. And thank you that you have one agenda for us, and that is an agenda of freedom. I thank you. And everything that has overcome us, which is not from you, I thank you that you will release us from that in this very moment. That the enemies of your people, that they have to step aside because you are here with the power to set us free. So I speak to the fears that has attacked, that's been attacking our lives and say with the word of God, that fear needs to leave us. And God, we receive your freedom in this moment. We receive your love and we receive your presence. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.